So today it's my privilege, my name is Alan, I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard to continue our series in the Jesus way. I think this is week number five and uh, we're navigating our way through the gospel of Luke. So our next series will also be from the writings of Luke. So we're doing a Luke-Acts thing and so um, we're in the gospel of Luke, we'll continue this conversation after Easter into the book of Acts. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Ever been surprised? Uh, Alan, what a silly question. All of you have been surprised, right? I mean, we've all absolutely been surprised. Unexpected breakthroughs and break into our lives with great joy, right? Wait, 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 wait. None of you look like you've ever been surprised. Okay, just for a moment, think about the delight of your last big surprise. Birthday party, I I know, I know, I know. Maybe it was virtual meeting, maybe it was, you know, on uh, last big celebration. I, I know it may have been Zoom. You may have to think past, deeper into your history. You might have to eliminate 2020. You might have to go back to 2019 to have some grand celebration. But somewhere in your life, here's what I'm confident in. Each and every one of us has had some incredible surprise and breakthrough. And so today I want to talk to you about uh, just sort of setting the stage, a personal surprise of mine. Now, um, I'm the oldest of three. I have two sisters. They will agree that I am spoiled. They would call me the little prince. And uh, I wear the crown proudly. I, uh, being the oldest, I have a sister that's four years younger than I am. And here you go, I have a sister that's 14 years younger than I am. And uh, that's quite a a, a span. We were born in three decades. And uh, we have this wonderful family. And so one of the surprises is I was uh, turning 16... I had a sister that was two years old, and she was the joy of my life and the joy of all my friends' lives. Uh, My friends loved my sister. As a matter of fact, they asked me to come to things so that I would bring her with me. But I remember the navigation of that, and so I remember getting my driver's license, the joy, the surprise, the incredible wonder of all of that, and and then the, the delight of my first automobile. Here you go, prepare yourselves, brace the dream automobile for every young man, 1960 Rambler station wagon, three on the, three on the column, yeah, and it had been, oh, whoa, 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 I, I forgot, customized Rambler station wagon, it had been the family car, my dad was a commercial artist, uh, he was bivocational, he was a commercial artist and a painter, uh, excuse me, a preacher, <laughs> Painter, commercial artist goes together. Commercial artist and preacher makes the full picture. He was, he was a preacher and commercial artist, and he thought it would look really, really good if he painted the hood and the roof of that Rambler, that white Rambler station wagon red. So I had a customized red hood and red roof, and it was absolutely awesome until... My dad replaced that Rambler Rambler station wagon with his brand new, it would be known as Nissan now, but back in the day, Datsun pickup. 
Oh, man. And so I would drive the Rambler station wagon to school, and all my friends thought it was like, you know, it was not a cool thing to drive. I remember every now and again, my dad would let me drive the pickup truck, and I thought that was a little cooler. And so my brother-in-law, he wasn't my brother-in-law then, he was my best friend. My brother-in-law and I used to run up and down 11th Street in Tulsa. Back in the day, uh, 11th Street was all the used car lots. They, just, they were just on both sides of the road for about three or four blocks. Just all, all, all used cars, and we would, we would just lust after these cars I mean we would dream and and we would walk and we would get out and put our hands on the cars and walk around and open the doors and all the guys knew we didn't have any money to buy one so they just let us look we looked at all these incredible muscle cars if you were in the 70s and you were a boy you wanted a muscle car most likely and I, I did I a Cuda I man a Mustang Camaro I mean all those kinds of cars and I remember coming home and my brother-in-law, Randy, and I would sit at the table and talk, and my dad would sit down with us, and we'd talk about all the cars we wanted, and my, my brother-in-law was the first one to get a cool car. He got, a, he got, actually, a Ford Mustang, and it was awesome, and I got to drive with him. Now, I remember my dad saying, well, what kind of car would you like? And I said, oh, Dad, there's this metallic green Cuda that I would love to have. I mean, I would love to have, and uh, he smiled and didn't say anything, and so months passed, months passed. We talked about this for forever, months passed. And um, I came home one day and there was a, an automobile sitting in our driveway that I did not recognize. Matter of fact, 1968 Camaro. And I thought, who's here and who drives that car? And as I was walking to the door, my dad walked out the door, and he had a pair of key, set of keys in his hand. And he tossed them to me and said, if you want it, it's yours. And I thought, what? Want it? Who wouldn't? And you know what? The surprise of a small dream, small desire, became the delight of something incredibly big. Today... As we look at Jesus' teaching regarding the kingdom of God, we look at the surprise that awaits us in the kingdom. The surprise that awaits us in the kingdom. And so today I want to talk to you about the, small of su the, the surprise of small things. Another way to say it would be the surprise of beautiful things. Things you dream of, things that have your attention, things that capture you. And the kingdom of God is small enough for us to comprehend in ways and large enough to blow our minds with beauty and surprise. And so I want to take you to Luke uh, chapter 13, read verses 18 through 21. Perhaps you've heard this before, and it goes like this. Then Jesus said, or asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Jesus loved to ask questions in his teaching. Sometimes the questions were uh, confrontational, and uh, this question is uh, a perplexing one. Would you contemplate with me He's saying, would you think about this for just a moment? Now, the backdrop is Luke 4, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news. And he says to the poor, to the broken, to the outcast, to the prisoned. And he says to proclaim the year of the Lord for all the goodness of God's people. And people celebrated and shouted. And then when the 
gospel of the kingdom began to be preached with evidentiary following of the kingdom being real. People got really, really upset. So they began to engage in this conversation of what the kingdom was and what it looked like and where it was coming and how it was coming. And Jesus says, this is what it looks like. He says, what will I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare it to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. In each case, the conversation is about something small that finds its way into an expanding portion of our life. And so here's the idea that's behind this passage. Uh, Howard Marshall says that his thought is the stress in this passage isn't so much on the idea of growth in itself, but as the certainty that what appears to be tiny and insignificant will prove to have been the beginning of God's mighty kingdom. The surprise of small things, something that appears to be tiny and insignificant will in the end be the beginning of God's mighty kingdom. So today I want us to reflect and let Jesus' words remind us about the working of God's kingdom in the world and in our lives. I don't do this often, but I, I just want to pray today so that God would just awaken us and we would be receptive. I, I regularly believe you're awakened and receptive. Today, I just feel the nudge of the Spirit to, maybe it's for me. If it's just for me, that's good, but I'll include you because I think it's for you as well. Jesus, would you awaken us to the work of small things in your kingdom that ultimately prove to be incredibly large, world-changing Let us receive all that you have for us today, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that whatever we need to hear, you will, by your Spirit, tune our hearts, our ears, and our eyes to receive what you have for us today. This I ask in Jesus' In this passage, I think Jesus reminds us of a couple of things. And then I want to jump to another passage in Luke to tie our conversation up today. The first thing that Jesus reminds us of is simply this. I think Jesus wants us to be sure that we don't dismiss small things. Dismiss small things. You, you realize... How you can dismiss small things? Uh, we dismiss small things because they aren't our expectation. We expect big stuff, right? We, we're looking for big stuff. 
Um, yesterday, uh, Donna and I were having lunch together, and uh, I was looking for uh, Frank's hot sauce. We love that at our house. Have a big bottle of Frank's hot sauce in our, in our house. And my expectation was it was in a certain place, in a certain way, in, on, the, on the trays in our refrigerator. And so I'm standing there with both doors of our refrigerator open, staring. She's standing in the kitchen, and I say to her, where's the, I said, where's the Dave's hot sauce? And she said, Dave's? And I said, you know, that hot sauce that has the name, that first name guy. She said, you mean Frank's? And I said, yeah, Frank's, that's what I'm looking for. And she says, third shelf on the bottom, right in the middle. And I turned my head and I looked, and because I was expecting to see something other than what was there, I was staring at it and I couldn't see it. And I said, it's not there. And she said, yes, it is. And I looked again. I said, no, it's not there. And she said, look one more time, it's there. And I said, oh, there it is. You see, small things are sometimes overlooked because our expectation blinds us to their presence. I was looking for a bottle that was shaped differently and colored differently. And I couldn't see the small thing that I desired desperately. The kingdom of God is often like that. We dismiss small things, expectations. Our expectations are wrong. Sometimes we dismiss small things, not because our expectations are wrong. Sometimes we dismiss small things because of the volume of the static of the culture in which we live. You know, the volume of the static of the culture in which we live sometimes causes our receptivity to the small nudges and whispers of God. Have you ever, have you ever been nudged and whispered to by the Holy Spirit? I, I regularly discover that the Holy Spirit speaks to me in nudges and whispers. And if you've heard me speak regularly or uh, over a period of time, uh, what I call nudges, sort of that palm in the middle of your back that just ever so nicely nudges you forward. You see, sometimes our culture drowns out that nudge, that whisper, that volume uh, is so loud that we can't hear the work of God in our lives. So don't dismiss small things. And here's, as I was looking at this passage, here's what I see in, in sort of pulling this passage apart. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest, the smallest of seeds. And then here, here's what I want. A small seed that is intentionally nurtured becomes something big. Small things given attention and nurtured have the capacity to grow and take root and become big things in our life. You see, we're often looking for a big stage. And God is almost always at work in the little things of our life that if we plant them and nurture them and care for them, they can have great impact in our life. A guy named Zach Keel says this. He says, 
of this parable. It starts off as a mustard seed, a puny seed that sprouts into a weed. How is this the kingdom? This humble, unimpressive beginning is contrasted with the glorious and universal end, God's new creation. God's new creation. So, the kingdom of God comes in a baby born in Bethlehem, in a stall, not recognized by many, wanders around all of his little teenage years doing nothing, comes onto the scene and wanders around and good things start happening, but, but, there's this tension. There's this tension in small things growing and developing. And Jesus says to us, the kingdom of God is like something small that grows into something big. Don't dismiss small things. The second thing he says in this passage, I think, is don't mistake small changes for no change. The second passage there is, and again he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in to about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Have you ever watched dough rise? I will tell you, if you have, you've stood in one spot for a really, 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 how many reallys do we need? Really, really long time. You, see, you, you mix yeast into the dough, and whatever your container is, this is my experience, whatever your container is, is you put it in your bowl, and then you put sort of a damp cloth over the top of it, and then you walk away. You walk away. And while we're waiting, and while we're walking, and while life has been going on we come back to it and suddenly we recognize that the small lump of yeast I love the the, the comparison a small lump into 60 pounds I, I, I imagine a small lump like a snowball small lump into 60 pounds and it works its way all of the way through impacting have you ever thought about change like personal change, personal transformation. Most of the commentators, most scholars think, and there's a whole lot of agreement, that this image of yeast in bread is the work of God in those that he loves. This is the work of God in people. He said he's the bread of life and we eat of the bread of life and we become the bread of life wherever we go and in communities and individuals. We become dispensers of the good news. And this change that occurs is we're experiencing the transformation of God. And the question is this, have you ever been frustrated by change? I, I recognize, I, man, I am frustrated by change. Uh, too fast? Too fast. Change too fast? Well, here's where it's too fast. Your kids grow up too fast and they leave too soon. Life circumstances sometimes change tragically too fast. Surprises come our way. There, there's all kinds of things. Uh, culture changes quickly. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I am absolutely never going to be able to understand youth culture. Like, I listen to them talk, and I have no clue what they're talking about. It is a foreign language 
to me. So I just smile and say nothing, and, you know, my silence doesn't frustrate them too much. I'm learning this more and more and more as my grandchildren age. My oldest grandson is 12, and we got three right behind him, and I'm going to know, I'm going to be overwhelmed in a sea of vocabulary that makes no sense to me. That's changed, that's too fast for me. You know, it's still cool. I mean, you know, that's so old it might have come back. I'm not sure. Um, have you ever been frustrated by change? Too fast? But have you also ever been frustrated by change that's too slow? Too slow? Um, when it comes to the work of the kingdom of God in our lives, I think we generally lean toward the change that's occurring is too slow. Too slow. And when we talk about change, remember, don't mistake small changes for no change. Hear me. Don't mistake small changes for no change. When was the last time as a follower of Jesus that you took time to reflect on your life? Go all the way back as far as you can remember to your childhood, to your early days. And it will do you good if you will take a pencil and a piece of paper and you will spend time. And let me just say this. Don't try to do it in one sitting. Don't do it. Take 15 or 20 minutes and go back as far as you can and just write the big rocks of where you've seen God at work. Put it down and then come back to it a few days later and write some more big rocks. Come back later and write some more big rocks. Make, make this a project of not just days, but weeks, months, years. Regularly reflecting on how you've experienced a journey of transformation. For instance, a question you might ask is, what was your life like before you became a follower of Jesus? What was your life like before you became a follower of Jesus? The question that follows that is, what has your life been like since you've been a follower of Jesus? And so that we're not just looking and reflection, let me just add a third question in there. When we think about small changes, our change, what hopes and dreams live within you? I believe that God puts in us hopes and dreams and aspirations that sometimes we overlook because they don't show up in a box with a bow. Which leads me to my third observation about small things. And to take a look at that, we have to jump to Luke 17, verses 1 through 6. I think the context is incredibly important. And it really talks about this, and that's simply 
while great faith is desired, it's active faith that makes a difference. While great faith is desired, it's active faith that makes a difference. And it doesn't matter how small it is. Hear me. I want great faith, but active faith makes the difference no matter how small it is. Listen to these words. It sounds so familiar. Luke 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles say, oh, Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. The bigness of our faith is not the issue. The bigness of our God is. So let me ask you, what does active faith look like? Active faith looks like greater obedience. Active faith looks like greater obedience. Because obedience is the fruit of of growing faith. When you lean into activating the faith you have, the orientation toward that activation is obedience in following Jesus. And let me be really clear. Imperfect obedience. Imperfect obedience. We get hung up sometimes because our obedience has glitches. I mean, my obedience has glitches. I'm going along doing really, really well, and then not so good. I'm stuck. I've got this thing, and it just keeps coming back to me. And so sometimes I think that my obedience uh, and my faith dwindle when, in fact, what's happening is I've just got this thing that I need to be persistent in, and I need to activate my faith in a regular way, not to have, quote, increased faith just active faith you see the challenge that the disciples were presented with is forgiveness isn't it amazing how forgiveness and love are central to the kingdom of God Jesus says if you love God with everything that's passionately within you and you love your neighbor as yourself which implies some forgiveness for both yourself and your neighbor that if you fulfill those two things you fulfilled all the law of the prophets and you fulfilled all of the commandments of his expectation, love God and love others passionately. Active faith equals obedience. Growing faith equals greater obedience, which demands a fuller submission of my life to Jesus. And while I want great faith, 
What's really needed is simply to activate the faith that I already have. And it's a prayer as simple as this. Not what I want, but what you want, Jesus. Do you know how many times I've prayed that half-heartedly? I wasn't praying it because I believed it. You understand? Does that make any sense? Just nod your head if that makes any sense. I wasn't praying it because I believed it. I was praying it because in my brokenness, I absolutely knew that it was my deliverance. God, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I want, but what you want. So my prayer for us is that we allow the kingdom of God and its seed to increase our capacity to forgive and to love. To forgive and to love. Closing with this, Rich Nathan says that there's a secret that God has kept for all eternity but now has disclosed. Everyone who listens to Jesus hears the secret that God's kingdom is going to come. If you're listening to Jesus, you've already heard the secret revealed. God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom is coming. And it's coming in small things that are going to eventuate in great things. And he goes on to say, the kingdom of God, it comes in two stages. He says, in the first stage, the kingdom is going to be hidden. It's not going to be obvious. You'll have to look for it you will have to search for it, the small things of the kingdom of God. When they appear, you have to look for them, you have to search for them, you have to long for them, you have to pray because you understand that it's been a revelation to you, that you can't pray confidently, but you can pray in your brokenness because you know it's your breakthrough. You can pray in your brokenness because you know it's your breakthrough. The kingdom of God is your breakthrough. But then... There's a second stage of the kingdom, and I love his language here. He says, this second stage of the kingdom is going to be overwhelming like a boulder from heaven. In the second stage of the coming of the kingdom, when Christ returns, there will be only one will done on the earth, the will of God. Right now, during this era, God's will doesn't always win the day. God's will can be resisted. God's will can be ignored. The mystery of the kingdom of God is here, but hasn't replaced every other kingdom. There is a will of God being done, but the will of sinful men and women is also being done. So is the will of Satan. In this age, we're running on parallel tracks. When Christ returns, creation, listen to this. When Christ returns, creation is going to run on a monorail. Our world will run on the kingdom 
of God. The surprise of small things. Evidenced in the world in which we live. Two tracks, two rails, but there's a day coming that the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, in Rich Nathan's words, will run all things and it will run on a monorail and the glorious beauty of the kingdom of God and its breakthrough will illuminate all that is. No longer small and hard to find, but large and glorious and all-encompassing beauty is to us and for us and through us. Jesus says, this is our way now and this is our hope for the future. The kingdom of God is a surprise. And it surprises us by how it takes root in us in small ways, but ultimately will reflect itself in the beauty that changes the world always and forever. Why don't you stand? This just uh, tells you I'm old. There's probably some really cool new songs that I could uh, have had come to my mind this week, but an old song came to my mind. And uh, as I think about the surprise of the kingdom of God, this is the prayer of my heart. It goes like this. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. The love of God at work in us. regularly and often finds its entry in small ways that when nurtured take deeper root and as they take deeper root become places 
into which we live more confidently, experiencing the fuller presence of the kingdom of God now while we wait for its fullest expression of his glory. The Jesus way is lean into the small things. The kingdom of God is delivering all things new. Live into it now. If you'd like prayer before you go today, I want to make it available for you. We'll have people available to pray with you if you'd like to receive prayer for any reason. And I want to just say to you, if there was a nudge, a whisper, an encouragement of God with regard to something that came to mind about your small engagement with God, something he's been whispering to you about, um, would you take time today before the day's over to just take five minutes and just lay that before the Lord? What, what I mean is just find a, find a place to just say, God, here's what I know you were speaking to me about, and I want you to know I heard you, and I want you to know that I'm inviting you to continue to speak in this small thing to change me in your transforming love for your glory, for my good, and through me, the good of others. You do understand that's the reason that God wants to work in us in small ways, so that he's glorified so that we receive goodness wellness well-being in our soul and that it's never designed for us to contain in ourselves it's always designed to be given away and so I release you now shine brightly for you are the light of the world Be salty wherever you go. In all that you do, in small things, love. Allowing the empowering presence of the Spirit to multiply your small act. Because as Mother Teresa said, small things done with great love change the Go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.